This is the Punk Theology Podcast, episode number 26. You're listening to the Punk Theology Podcast. This would be season three. Are we a cog in the machine for better or worse? That is the question. Or demonizing why it works and doesn't. Hey, punktheology.net is the website for this here excursion into punkness. Punktheology.net, check it out. Um, Become a patron, Patreon, patreon.com slash punktheology. Or, again, on the website, punktheology.net, there's also an Easter egg on the punktheology.net.com.org website at the bottom of the Punk Theology page somewhere, you can see exactly how many listeners are listening to this show. And we would love to have you on board as a co-producer. Mention your name, give you credit on the show as a co-producer like our friend Carlton. So this show takes a minute to get going, uh, I'll be honest. But we do touch on a very cool philosophical thread. It takes us a little while to get there. Bear with us. This is a, this was a good a good conversation. Please stand by. Please stop. It's okay. You tried. <laughs> so, we just crashed. <laughs> yeah. crashed. Reboot the show! We gotta reboot the show. No, here we go. Unpack topic for tonight so uh i your host russ shaw is 52 years old doing a career change which is kind of weird so got hired as a mechanic well i haven't been hired yet but i went through the interview they were ready to hire me uh back in april and then covid happened so i get a call on friday and they're like hey you're still looking for a job <laughs> It's like, not only am I looking for a job, you guys said you were going to hire me, so I've been kind of waiting for you to call me back. So, yeah, man, I'm ready to go back to work. As a matter of fact, I bought a toolbox, and I talked to the guy down there, uh, the supervisor. It wasn't the supervisor who called. It was somebody in HR. And uh, I said, you guys are going to hire me, right? Because <laughs> I'm about ready to pull the trigger on a toolbox that costs, you know, over almost $300. He's like, yeah, man, you're the first the first person I call when, uh, when we're hiring again. And I'm like, okay, cool. So, so yeah, she calls Friday. And, and it's a big corporate conglomerate thing, which kind of makes me nervous. But at the same time, I get some training. You know, that'll be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, they seem to school. I think so. They're going to give me ASE yeah. certified, hopefully for free. I'm not sure if that's going to cost me anything. But they make that perfectly they didn't make that clear but anyway so I'm excited you know it's, I've been working on cars since I was 14 and it's been an interesting career change but it had me thinking about um, a lot of stuff going on politically some of the stuff we talked about in the last show a little bit but this idea that uh, the big bad thing is out that capitalism is bad or socialism is bad now it's Marxism like People on Facebook who used to be afraid of socialism are now attacking Marxism because it's Marxism. 
Well, I think it's because we're already kind of socialist. <laughs> like the government's cutting checks, man. Uh, Six hundred bucks a week. Now that's in limbo, which is weird. But yeah, thirty million Americans. If they don't cut those checks, there's a good chance that the economy could collapse. Right? People mm-hmm. losing their homes and not paying their bills. But my point is, I've been a guy who's sort of been not happy with my life going through life like I've got to fight I've got to I didn't go to college I'm I'm I didn't even finish high school I just lied about that shit every time you know I filled out an application lied about high school so I've been I've had jobs but for most of my career to use that word I've been self-employed and the reason being is because I don't trust the man, right? <laughs> so there's the the man thing out there. Um, but do we need... So here's my question. So I'll throw out this question to you guys. Do we kind of need that? Like, just to stay disenfranchised with our current state. Need what? What's we that? need... Don't we need an enemy? We need something to shit on. We need, like... We need capitalism to be mad at. We need Marxism to be mad at. Socialism. We need an ism of some kind <laughs> to blame. I think the others are all in. I mean, politicians and kings and shit have known that for forever. Is if you don't have an other, people start to eat themselves. You think? Yeah. I, what's that? There's an Arab phrase. It's like me against my brother, me and my brother against my neighbor, me and my brother and my neighbor against the guy in the next city, me right, and right. my brother and my neighbor and the guy in the next. So and it just keeps going and going and going. And if you so if you have this great big other enemy that's way far away that you don't ever have to think about, yeah, you can walk better along a lot better with your neighbor. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's just really unfortunate basic human nature. Um, yeah, we need demons. We need something to demonize. We need something to fight. And uh, that's why, again, we've brought this up before. That's why sports are so great. Yeah. Sports give you that outlet for something that's it's meaningless. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, it means something to Seahawks yeah. win or lose. Yeah, it's taking that People's jobs or evolutionary weapon and firing it into the ground. Um, but you'd think when it comes to something like like for example, the whole six hundred dollar, you know, the stimulus, you know, and the unemployment, the federal unemployment, pandemic unemployment. You know, it seems to me that it, just a bunch of like you just bring like I don't know postal workers or someone like that, have them sit at the table and try and hash this out. They could do it better <laughs> than the professionals we've elected, because they've almost become so good at or accustomed to demonizing the other. So it's no longer about... I remember my dad said this about Boeing here in Everett. My dad worked at the Boeing company. And he said back in the 60s and 70s, the unions and management would get together and they would negotiate based on the premise that we make a kick-ass airplane. And we're going to beat the other guys that make a kick-ass airplane. So management, workers, let's let's hash this out so we can keep cranking out these really awesome airplanes. It's not the deal anymore. Everybody's just, you know, management wants what management wants, and, and the, the union wants what the union wants, and 
Now Everett's turning into Detroit. Yeah, and that idea is <laughs> shipping just jobs, American jobs. So it doesn't matter if you're doing a good job. Yeah, just as long as you're keeping the jobs in America. So yeah. Ship them to South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, or keep the jobs where they're at. Right. Or, right. Yeah, just keep the machine spinning. It doesn't matter what it's making. Um, and that's that's my question. So that's what I'm really interested in is why do we keep the machine spinning on this cranky demonizing of the other? And we don't even tend to see it. Because it fucking works. It's a hack. It's a human, mass human brain hack. But it doesn't work. It's falling apart. No, but no. I mean, it's it's absolutely working. It's destroying society. Right. But it's absolutely working. Oh, I see what you're saying. So uh. it's keeping the thing. The thing is surviving because it's propped up by this discord. Well, it's because it's an actual like it's an actual war. Both sides have gotten really, really good at manipulation and and identity politics and forcing people's hands. And grouping people together and tearing people apart. And so it's just a bunch of people playing those really highly developed political games. Right. Um, nonstop. And there's, you know, what, six to ten different parties at play. Um, and they're all fighting for the same thing. And, and uh, a lot of them don't necessarily care if they ruin half the system in order to get their way. It's like the, the the argument of uh, payroll reform or something they're talking about. It's like a, a rich man's solution to a poor man's problem. Mm-hmm. They have no fucking clue. But we'll make it look like we're trying to solve a problem. Um, but bringing this back to my own story, I've kind of had that myself where you know I don't trust jobs, I don't trust bosses. And now here I am in a situation where I'm pretty content with going to work for this company. I don't know what it's going to look like, kind of wading into this, but just being a workaday schmo. (laughs) Maybe that's my, I don't know, my spiritual faith path or whatever. But I'm I'm, where I used to really demonize shit like that. I wouldn't go to work for this company 10 years ago. I would have been like, screw that. This is a corporate machine. Not going to do it. But now I'm more apt to let my life flow out the way it's, you know, opportunities present themselves, boom, I'm getting a pretty good starting wage. So What if it's all a distraction so we don't have to look at ourselves? Because that would be my own life. You know, it's easier to blame somebody else mm-hmm. or something else than it is to, re- to reflect on yourself. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's what we don't, we don't want things to get fixed. I think a part of us really doesn't want oh, I agree. the machine to stop turning, you know? Because then, then I'll be responsible. Yeah. Are we a cog in the machine for better or worse? I think that's the big question. Yeah, I think we are. Yeah. Both. I think it's, yeah, I think it's just necessary. There's too many fucking people on the planet. We can't, there has to be a machine to suck up people. Because if there isn't, we absolutely destroy everything. The machine, at the end of the day, makes everything efficient. And in order to keep 8 billion people alive, everything has to be really efficient. Yeah. It just does. And that's why I tend to have the most trouble. I had a really good discussion with some of my conservative friends when I was in Idaho. 
Um, a lot of their worldview is really stuck on the idea that there's 80 million people in the United States of America. And they're really, st it's, you know, 1920s, 1930s, through the, you know, and kind of growing a little bit through the 40s and the 50s. And they want that model to work that worked so well when there's 80 million people in the country. Right. And so what they ended up doing was basically creating white privilege where they just broke off a section of the population that was about... And did it, so they have about 80 million privileged people in the country. And the rest of the people kind of get the short end of the stick. Right. And they just keep perpetuating that. But the problem is we're growing so fast that that 80 million, which used to be a pretty significant chunk, just isn't anymore. Yeah, no. Um, and that's... And that's we're le a lot less white than we used to right, be. Right, and, well, yeah. And, and yeah, less Christian... Well, and the system um, concentrated itself. Whereas it used to be 80 million, and then it got to 60 million privileged, and then it got to 50 million privileged. And they just... Because the efficiencies got so much higher, and it was so much easier to kind of keep other people under your thumb. Right. Um, but but yeah, just like I was sitting there talking um, to some of my friends who have this Idaho mindset on how everything should work, and it's very small town. Yeah, and it's like there is not enough room in this country for everyone to live in a small town. There isn't. Right. It can't. Like there has to be big cities in order to fit the people. There's not there. enough economy. I think like the economies yeah. have to work. In a way that so they were they're advocating for this idea of you know homeschooling and living off right. the land. John Mellencamp and you know trusting your neighbors and growing up with people that you know really well. Yeah, yeah. that's a great, wonderful fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't work with 330 million people in the country. It can't. Yeah. So, so and and uh, honestly, the older generation is furious that their fantasy is dissolving. And that's what's going on in this country right now. Because yeah. they're starting to realize that 80 million people just doesn't hold the sway anymore. And that everything that they've worked so hard to do to keep that protected and fenced off is coming down just because there's not enough resources to feed it anymore. There's too many people. And they're coming over the fence. They're coming over the wall. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the language they're using because they're trying to protect that 80 million people. And the wall is crumbling because there's too many fucking people. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. It's just a population problem. It's not an ideal problem. It's not a population problem. It's or it's not a it's not a political problem. It just comes down to politics. And I deal with this all the time at my job where I go out to people's properties and they bought five acres. And it's five acres of really nice pristine forest. And they want to cut the whole thing down and turn it into a horse ranch. And the law won't let them do that. Right. And they get very, this is my fucking property. I'm an American. I'm going to do what I want. But yeah, but if you do that, there will be no more forest anywhere. And your property will turn into a giant fucking mud pit. <laughs> because all of that water that used to get soaked up by trees and forests and streams and nature is compacted concrete and so we have to put our foot down and were we in the 1920s and were there 80 million people in this country you could have your five acre ranch yeah that would be totally fine it doesn't work with 330 million people
It just that, and they, they just didn't know. The smelters they had, right? Like, they had to pull up a bunch of dirt right, right they, here. So they had no idea. would be factories down on the waterfront. They just <laughs> mined the economy. So there's a difference between, you know, our renewable resource and non-renewable resource. And they basically took a renewable resource and treated it like a unrenewable resource. Right. So they sucked all the water out of the aquifers, and that will never come back. Um, yeah, they... They just completely overburdened the streams and the lakes with nutrients. Uh, so we get massive algae blooms and all the fish die. And that's never coming back. Right. Um, and, and they cut down trees that were three, 400 years old uh, that have a massive effect on how the soil health behaves and how, uh, how water behaves when it comes out of the sky, our ability to absorb things like pollution, like all that stuff is really, really complicated and really nuanced. And if you just plow the whole thing under and cover it in concrete, and you do that for long enough, you don't have it anymore. Right. And But, but that mindset's tough, because there's a lot, especially the boomer generation, like that, this is a conversation I have with my sister. A lot of the boomers define the American dream as, I get to do what I want, and I don't have to worry about how it affects other people. That is their definition of what the American dream is. And that works okay with 80 million people in the country. Yeah. I think you get farther out, you get Well, if I had five acres, I'd like to keep it exactly as it is. I wouldn't. You'd be <laughs> shocked at what these people want to do. God, they come up from California. Yeah. And they want to put in, they want to clear the entire thing, strip it down to hard pans. Too many trees. Bring in 13 horses and cover a third of the property in concrete. And they're mad as hell that people won't let them do that. Thank God they don't let people <laughs> yeah, do exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. And then I see the people that are actually trying to do it well, and they're furious because the regulations are so bad. It's like, it's not the state's fault that those regulations are there. It's these fucking assholes yeah. who have to be absolutely throttled and choked or they will destroy everything. Yeah. And that's what the rules are there for. And it sucks that you don't get to do things the way that you want to do them. And you're right. You are trying to do it the right way. But you still have to go through all the hoops. Because if you don't go through the hoops, this other guy will pretend he's doing it the right way. And the minute someone's back's turned, he'll clear the whole fucking land. Well, that's one of the uh, issues in Montana is the people that have grown up in Montana are furious of the out-of-state money's coming in and doing that very same yeah. thing. Mm. You know, just clear-cutting. and You can go hours in Montana and not see a house. Right. All right. But, again, that's... They just reached a million, and they're furious because it's just exploding. Yeah, Montana's really the last... Yeah. Con, uh, no, 48, Continental 48... Mm-hmm place where you can do that much at least with that type of forest like there's north and south dakota but it's fucking scrubland like it's not real but yeah now idaho used to be not so much anymore there's still sections that are pretty pristine a lot Uh, of desert like east of washington right in what no north idaho is kind of north idaho is very similar to western montana and it's kind of a it's a fucking paradise up there. It's a white paradise. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the last white paradise in America. Um, there's still Alaska, and Alaska's tough. Yeah, <laughs> Alaska's, Alaska's fucking cold. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, weeks. it's really that last 
So is it is it a question of being teachable? I think that that's part of this conversation. Maybe the that idea that we need an enemy that it, if we knew it's kind of like we did that you you and your uh, guy you know that works in engineering yeah. kind of engineering that you do. Um, you I, I really like that conversation because you were talking about laws. You know, oh, right. Like there's Jack a reason. Russell, yeah. This is like really really old law. Right. The guy builds a castle upstream and fucks the guy <laughs> right. downstream. Wars happen. Right. You know, this is this well, is. Well, I mean, the it really of, comes down to farmers. Yeah, and like, got all that food. shit started with waterway <laughs> farmers. Yeah, because some fucking asshole farmer diverted the entire river onto his property and then didn't leave any for the downstream guy, and people died. Yeah, like people fucking killed themselves, killed each other over that shit and most of the and that's really old that's thousands of years old issue yeah and so a lot of our laws in terms of but the land people that, rights come out of that basic idea right and if it's it, whether it's the guy at the grocery store who doesn't want to wear, wear a mask mm-hmm. or it's the guy who buys the acreage and is mad at you because right. he can't chop all the trees down and do exactly what he right. wants I think that that I think that where I'm meshing with this is that that part of me that probably did a lot of damage to my own career. You know, I was a pizza guy for 25 years um, because I just wouldn't get into something and stick with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and based on common sense or just self-hatred, I didn't trust myself or know whether I could learn the things or be educated or be teachable. You know, I, I guess that's where I'm meshing with this. I'm, I think about in recovery, I read a book by C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis had this red lizard analogy where uh, this red lizard is sort of represents the addiction, right? And the red lizard, the guy's... Uh, the, so the story is, a little, little story time by Russ today. Maybe this will make this all make sense. <laughs> so... Guy's got he's in this kind of limbo in between heaven and hell. And he's got this red lizard on his shoulder. And he's walking through this forest and he meets this angel. And the red lizard is dug into his shoulder. It's got his claws dug into his shoulder. And it's whispering all these shitty things into his ear all the time. And it's just telling him all sorts of horrible things about himself. Telling him dirty stories. Putting him down. And so he comes upon this angel and the angel says, Hey, I can get rid of that red lizard for you. Just so you know, and the guy's like, oh, that would be great. I'd love to get rid of the red lizard because I hate this thing. It bothers me. It's doing this, you know, constantly putting me down and making me feel like shit about myself. And so he says, uh, he says, yeah, go ahead and do it. Remove the red lizard. Get, kill it. Do it. And so the, the angel turns out this big ball of fire and it, it reaches out with its hand towards the red lizard. And the guy's standing there going, whoa, wait, like, this is going to hurt. This is going to be fucking painful, right? And uh, the angel pulls back. And then the red lizard starts to plead for its life. Like, he sees this coming and says, he can do it. This this angel can kill me. And then he says, then what are you going to do? Then who are you going to be friends with? Then who's going to be your companion in life? You know, hey, I'll be better. You know, I won't be so bad. I'll I'll pull back a little bit. I'll be a little better. That theme is uh, also in uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader in the Chronicles of Narnia. Eustace is a dragon. 
and the same thing as the scales and yeah, yeah. can't get close. And then Aslan is the only one that is able to remove the, the, the scales That's a great story. and the claws. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he's sitting there trying to scrape it off. Yeah, he's trying to. He's not doing anything. No. He's just a ragged mess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that's the, the that's the blindness. I think that I I've been meshing with and and really kind of being excited about this job and seeing where things go, um, and and pulling back the the feels of wanting to shit on it because mm-hmm. that's sort of like that red lizard part of me or the part of me with the scales that. You know, I don't learn good. You know, I'm dyslexic and whatnot, ADHD. You know, I'm easily distracted. Uh, but you know, it, I don't think that story is about addiction. I think it's more about being content with who you are, where you're at, in, in time. Being content beyond behind the mask, yeah. behind the, the front. Yeah, because we don't even see it. We don't even see that we're battling against no. the world constantly. The and people that, again, the people that don't wear their, wear their mask, the people that don't want to, like, they don't even know a lot of times why. It just seems to be this kind of energy that's coming out. Like, I need to scapegoat something so that I can feel better in this skin. Because beyond so that. I have to feel in this skin. Yeah, because beyond that, who am I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I had to feel, yeah, that's that's painful. Yes, yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of where I am right now in, in my own journey. Is I'm just asking those questions. Why is why do I have to demonize something mm-hmm. or someone that disagrees? Why can't I let them be and don't have to argue? Why do I have to convince them that I'm right? Yeah, yeah. And that's why I was. That's why I was curious at the start of this. Is that do we need the distraction so we don't look at ourselves and don't ask the tough questions of ourselves? You know, why does that bother me? Yeah. Or why do I, how, why is that voice, where does that voice come from? Because I have seen some similar voices. You know, where does that come from? I think it comes from wanting to feel horrible because it's familiar. It's like the, you know, going back to some of the, addiction analogy the the idea of the gambling addict the gambling addict doesn't go to the casino because he wants to win he's there to lose that's what keeps pulling him back mm-hmm. to the casino yeah, is he's going to some really interesting scientific tests yeah cuz it's a losing that's more addictive than the winning was that our yeah, yeah. is that our friend in Lake Stevens would that be his uh, his rationale he goes he went to the casinos to lose yeah it's a cortisol addiction. It's not a dopamine addiction. Yeah, yeah. And I think peeling back the, the layers. I mean, the dopamine reinforces it when you're doing it. Yeah. But it's really, the base is really cortisol. It's that stress. Yeah, it's oh. the stress and, and feeling like shit about yourself, yep. you know, right. constantly. So I think whether you're a gambling addict or an angry person on social media, which and I've been that too, you know, uh, are needing an enemy or needing to tear down capitalism or socialism or Marxism. Just the fear of everything. The fear that's keeping us from actually having conversations and staying in the room with difference and actually hashing out some of these problems. Because it is. I mean, 
it's systemic to use that word this idea that we have to have I have to have something to demonize that's like old philosophy yeah. you know we just don't we do. see it yeah yeah but I mean the cities Seattle's an interesting social experiment just in the last 15 years with all these big companies moving into the city you know you used to have like factories that would be like here in Everett or around and then people would move up to here to work in a factory and now you have these you know Amazon and Facebook and Google Google sets up shop right they're all right in the city of Seattle and and now you got these million you know multi-billion dollar buildings with boards over them you know because of the the fact that we're not doing this right, right? Like we're not able to be humans um, and live in this world without some kind of I gotta demonize it. I gotta demonize somebody. I'm looking for an enemy. It's just such a fucked up part of the human condition. And I think that happens internally if you don't have an enemy. You know, you start eating yourself, especially mm-hmm. if you're not. But isn't that where faith comes from? I think that's where religious yourself. faith. I mean, not just religion, because I think religions are also another it's way. To unpack that. I don't it. understand where you're going. So, for me, the opposite of you could say the opposite of fear is faith. Okay. But it's also the opposite of of demonizing and systematizing. Um, I've said that's where John and I would argue about the opposite of religion is faith. <laughs> you know, faith is a it's a faith construct of religion. You could say that. But then that construct becomes a system in and of itself. And people fight wars and the bloodiest, awfulest wars in this world have been fought over fucking religion. Because there's no faith in being able to sit in our differences. You know? You're talking about that 80% the white people. Is that faith? I mean, faith is in there. Is that, isn't that, is that trust? What is that? Yeah, it's somewhere in there. I know what you're yeah. talking about. What is that? There's like a God spirit thing. To, it's, uh, you I have to both, explain. You have to both give up and embrace to have someone tell you something that scares the fuck out of your identity and see them as a human that you want to connect with. Yeah. Um, or even live with. Is or even open so up. So what do you have to land. give up and what do you have to embrace in order to make that work? Is that faith? Is it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's probably in there. Steve, what do you think? Yeah. Would you call that faith? Yeah, I, I think you would believing what you what, believing something that you can't see. So you can't see that there's good there, but you believe that there is. So you start acting on that belief. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because you got to believe that your new business is going to work. I mean, your new job. Yeah. yeah. That you're going to succeed. you got to believe that. But you, can't, you don't see it. Yeah, I don't see it. And I don't know if it's going to work. I know. So is that faith? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's faith that I can go into this situation without, you know, without a, a crooked eye or, a, a, you know, dismantling... Be distrust. I found it's been a lot easier the more trust I have in myself. Mm. The kind of more secure I am as a person, 
the less I'm threatened and my insecurities aren't triggered and I'm not extrapolating and wondering how this is going to ruin my life and you know worry, worry about how it looks that I'm even hanging out with a person like this right um, if I'm a lot more stable and comfortable with myself um, and I you know and I've been thinking about this as I've kind of engaged started engaging with new people how valuable it is to have people like you who are really good friends because I can extend myself and if the whole thing gets fucked it's okay like I don't need more friends right yeah. like that feeling of like I've got a really good group of friends I've got a really great wife who's got my back and if this doesn't work out um, it's okay yeah. and so being able to stay in the room just lowers the stake enough that I can I can take it or leave it. I don't, I, you know, there's no implications. There's no extrapolation that has to happen. It's okay that you and I don't agree with this at all, and probably never will, because um, because I don't have that much writing on it. Right. So is belief a choice? Yeah, I think that belief belief is one of those things that that's you know the language of belief. We could spend a whole a couple hours on that but belief is you know what you choose to believe what I believe today what I might believe tomorrow would be could be very different like we just don't know what's going on it's like the old Buddhist question of is breathing a choice Mm -hmm. yeah like you're not thinking about it but you're doing it but you can choose to breathe if you want to you can choose to stop breathing if you want to so it's both a choice and it's not a choice. I think belief is probably the same way. And that uh, if you just kind of let it be and don't think about it, it still rides out and it still does what it's doing. But you can also dive into it and fuck with it a little bit, yeah. control it. Yeah, breathing is the one constant, you know. I Meditation I, taught me that. Your body is going to breathe. It's always breathing it doesn't you die so and that's kind of the frustrating thing about belief too is it a lot of people think it would be nice to have absolute control of your belief but people don't yeah and and when they stop thinking about it and stop you know so you can change the way you breathe you can change the pace you can change how deep uh, you can change all kinds of variables but when you stop thinking about it it kind of falls back to its base level and yeah. you're just going to breathe the way that you always breathe and I think belief is kind of the same way where you can move it and you can change it and you can shift it, but there's some resetting and falling back into a natural state, I think, that happens if you stop thinking about it and stop working on it. Yeah, because if you, if you believe you're going to get hurt, that's you choose to believe you're going to get hurt, that's going to affect your actions. Right. But, and even are you choosing to believe you're going to get hurt or are you just afraid that you're going to get hurt? Like, where is a shift from belief faith yeah or exactly. to fear yeah like, exactly. and where do those yeah, exactly. mingle and there's a really broad zone right in the middle where that's all mixed up and you can't separate the two so you go right. back to swing around back to the topic then if you believe that difference is wrong and that we've if I, I believe I've got to have something to fight against then that dictates behavior or I believe you look at segregation, for example, like there's a belief system that says, you know, white people should just be around white people and everyone will just get along better. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that's another is it a fear based 
or ego-based belief system. I would think that's more of a fear-based, just the fact that we always are... We're but he's right that that's one of those... That's a great example of that zone where everything's mixed up. Yeah. yeah. Because there's definitely an ideology behind it that's associated with the belief system. And, and you, if you want, you can inject rationality into it of some type. And you can inject all these rules and structure and system into it. Uh, but you don't have to go very far before it just looks like a bunch of scared white people. But are we afraid of what we don't understand? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what yeah, yeah. fear so, is. Right? Yeah. That's Try to protect is. ourselves from right. yeah. things that we don't have control over and that we don't fully have a grasp on. Right. Yeah. And we don't want to, we don't want to venture in, right? Because we might, of, of, we might get hurt. Yeah, exactly. That's where I get really interested in the, you know the spiritual aspect of the of this conversation. And this is a show that's <laughs> it's in the genre of spirituality and religion. Um, is what is what is the ego and what is that thing in us that relents that says, is it always just some biological chemical thing, or is there something beyond? you know, spiritually or mm-hmm. something that, that brings us into this place of... There's a really interesting book series that I read, and he splits things off into three actual worlds that that exist, and one is... So fiction? Yeah, it's fiction. Yeah, yeah. But one is physical, and one is mental, and one is spiritual. But the, the key to the spiritual world is that it's completely ethereal and intangible. But it definitely exists. Uh-huh. But you cannot visit it. You cannot see it. You cannot taste it. And the minute you can do either see it or taste it, it's either mental or physical. It's no longer spiritual. Right. Um, and those are the terms that I tend to think of spiritual in sometimes. Of it's Yeah, it's so thin. Yeah. Um, Star Wars kind of did a good job right. of, of yeah. the the force, right? Like, there's a good explanation of that that energy that's out there. And so, yeah, and shit happens that triggers some part of your brain that just screams, "This is spiritual." Yeah. Um, and that, and you know, you could, you can't explain that way with the big ba- big psychochemical um, theories, and that this is just a. Uh, you know, a trait of evolution. Uh, but our brains fight that, even mm-hmm. when they know it. Even the staunchest atheist that really understand, had a great understanding of human behavior and brain chemistry will have moments where he goes, I don't, I, th- I feel like this might be spiritual. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's just a, and it may not, you know, it may be a 1% of 1%, little thin fiber, but he can't escape it. Yeah, like that's always going to be tied there, and he can spend his whole life fighting it and hiding it and distracting himself from it. Um, but if he ever really sits and is really calm and really focuses on himself, he's going to see that thin cable right. between himself and the thing that says, "I feel like I matter for a reason other than chemistry." Yeah, or more conscious. That song. Uh Sweet Pain by Blues Traveler is really good. Um, this is the uh, the chorus, I believe. Sweet pain, can you plainly see? Sweet pain, you know it matters to me. Sweet pain, won't you make me feel at home? 
sweet pain, don't you dare leave me alone. That pain we attach ourselves to. It's just interesting to me that I've, I don't know, 52 years old, maybe I'm finally starting to see it. If this had been an actual emergency, the attention signal you've just heard would have been followed by official information, news, or instructions. This has been an audio production of punktheology.net. The podcast with a comedic, encouragingly troublesome, rebellious, burlesque, artistry exploring what people really, actually believe. The podcast where we divulge and ask, how does one define meaning, beauty and truth, without coming off as a judgmental asshole? And we have a patron page. Because we are not interested in sponsors from large corporations, or for that matter, small ones, who are worried about their quote, reputation, end quote. Would you consider becoming a patron sinner, saint? A PT co-producer? Stop by patreon.com slash punktheology. Or again, punktheology.net. Big thanks to Silent Partner Music and Huma Huma for the copyright free punk bumps. And Carlton, our so far only but hugely appreciated monthly listener co producer. Why should I join this band of ideological rebels and become a co-producer of punk theology? Because, were the good guys they are the bad guys is getting excruciatingly boring and unproductive. Because most people keep yelling at each other. Because millions of people in western culture are undoubtedly divided and disconnected. Because talking about the elephant in the room has become more like looking for a lost penny under the couch cushion that most don't care to find. That's a huge bitch! Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe, like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound. Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't kick it out! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. This disc contains CD-ROM data and is not for audio use. Please press stop on your disc player now.